There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hello, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. It's great to be back with you again. Another fantastic week and oh my word, what an exciting topic we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be talking about the overview effects. We're going to be talking to space philosopher um, Frank White, the first space philosopher we've had on the show in 530 episodes. So uh, I'm, this is particularly exciting today. Um, just like to also... Um, say um, a big thank you to my guest last week. We had Peter Roper on the show. We were talking about his book, The Reputation Gap. And, you know, if you're mindful, you know, what's your reputation out there? What was it there like in the marketplace, on social media, et cetera? And do you think it's important to manage your reputation, which um, it is? Um, we all know of people who haven't managed their reputation and they've ultimately become damaged and disappear. Um, it's well worth a listen. Um, Peter's a... A real expert in family businesses. Uh, I've known him for many, many years, a guy that I really trust and respect. Uh, and um, I listen to Peter. He's somebody I really do listen to. So go and have a look, listen to that in the archive. So let's talk about, let's talk about a subject today that is quite simply out of this world. Let's talk about space and, uh, and space exploration. And let's try and get a, and understanding today of what it must be like to leave this planet and look back on it um, and, and let's get a sense of what we can learn from, from Earth, looking back on Earth, that what it can teach us about life, about leadership, about innovation. Uh, my guest today is Frank White. Um, he's a leading expert in space philosophy um, and he's a highly acclaimed um, voice in uh, in guiding leadership perspective, including growth, sustainability, and foresight through space exploration insights. Um, he's the author of the groundbreaking The Overview Effect, Space Exploration and Human Evolution. Uh, and uh, in his original work in this, um, so his fourth edition of The Overview Effect, which um, he was uh, he interviewed an astonishing 31 astronauts. So um, we want to find out about that. What he's really, really well known for is his film that he inspired, um, the film The Overview. Um, and uh, The Overview has been listened to, so you've been watched because you can access it on Vimeo, you can watch it, um, by 8 million uh, people uh, so far. And it's really groundbreaking. I would recommend that you, you take the opportunity to have a look at that. Um, so what do you think is the... You know, what do you think we can learn from uh, life um, outside of this planet? Where's it heading? What can we learn by looking back on the planet? Um, what do we think? Do we think there's the potential soon for humans to become citizens of the universe? We're going to explore those um, questions and get a sense of what it means um, if you're a leader uh, and, uh, and, and and how it can elevate your leadership thinking. So a big welcome today uh, to Frank White. Thank you very much. Great to be here. You're very welcome. Lovely to speak to you, Frank. Um, now you're not um, you, you're on this planet at the moment. Where do you where do you live? Where's home? 
<laughs> I live just outside of Boston, right here, right here on the surface of Earth. On the surface of Earth. And I'm kind of intrigued, um, Frank, what, what inspired you in your sort of childhood and background to to get really interested in space and uh, uh, what inspired you to do what you do today? Yeah, I could tell you two different stories. One is told by my first cousin. We kind of grew up together and she said, you know, uh, we were sitting in uh, the parking lot of the grocery store and our mothers were inside and you turned to me and you said, Anne, do you know that we can't stay on this planet forever? We're going to have to leave and go to other planets. <clears throat> so that's when I was five years old. <sighs> now, <laughs> I believe everything my cousin tells me, but I don't remember that. What I do remember is when I was 10 years old, my mother came home one day and handed me a book called Stars, yep. a little astronomy book. It's still published, and it really blew my mind, Chris. I mean, it's just like, what? Well, the universe, what the heck is it? And I just got into astronomy, for starters, and I was very, very interested in that. And then I started reading science fiction, and that opened my mind even further. I read a lot of the great science fiction writers. Um. I became interested in UFOs, which, of course, was a natural extension. And then uh, about that time, Sputnik was launched. And I got interested in rocket science. And I could go on, but essentially what happened was I wanted to get into the field. And... I found out, I, I wrote to Verna Von Braun, who I lived in Mississippi. He lived in Alabama at uh, in Huntsville. Yeah. There's a, a NASA operation there. I said, how do I become a rocket scientist? And he wrote back, well, you should study calculus and chemistry and physics and <laughs> all of this stuff that I, I didn't want to study. And, <laughs> So oh, my big challenge was, how do I get into the space field without being an engineer or a scientist? And uh, essentially what happened was I got an education uh, in social science and the humanities, and that began a search again for how to get into the field. I'm going to stop there and see if you have any questions, but then I can tell you how I got into space. Yeah, yeah. No, th thank you, thank you. Um, I I'm just sort of going back. My, my mind's going back to that you know, car park and your cousin talking about <laughs> living, living off the off the planet and uh, and your fascination with the universe. Because I uh, I can imagine this whole area of space. It, we we talked about just before we came on here that it's really really taking off and and, and I've been amazed like many people have with the images from the James Webb Telescope um, that universe you talk about we're, we're just all the time realizing it's bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger it's just just vast isn't it so yeah. so it must I mean I mean that must capture your imagination uh, absolutely. Still. 
it's uh, it's really hard and difficult to imagine the size and scope of the universe that we live in, the cosmos. And part of this idea of becoming citizens of the universe, which you and I have discussed, is simply broadening our view, understanding what a remarkable world we live in and how inspiring it can be if we just open our eyes, open our minds, and allow that inspiration to occur. And <clears throat> astronomy is a way to do it. Spaceflight is a way to do it. And there are other ways of realizing, you know, wow, it's a miracle. Our, our, our existence is a miracle. And we can talk more about that. But part of what I've been exploring is also what is our purpose as a species? Mm -hmm. um, how come evolution has brought us to this point after four and a half billion years of the Earth's existence, suddenly Homo sapiens is about to become a spacefaring species? We, we tend to think about that from our point of view. What are we going to get out of it, Chris? Yeah. Why are we going to do it? But the universe, the whole system of which we are part, has really played a role in bringing us to this point. So part of my work is asking why is that? You know, how do we fit in? And we can talk more about it, of course, but we're just beginning to realize that we fit into the Earth. We're part of the Earth, you know, uh, we... We're part of the ecosystem, and now we're moving into the larger ecosystem of the solar system. But it's very likely that eventually humanity will uh, migrate farther than that. And this goes back to philosophy. What is our philosophy of space exploration? Is it exploitation? Is it exploration? Is it a balance between the two? So it's it's just incredibly interesting and a never-ending set of questions, really. So this is how you 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 talked about your your background and your you know interest in the universe, and then you um you went and studied social science and you were looking at how to engage in this field. And it it seems to me that you are you know as you describe yourself as a, a space philosopher, someone who's asking the big questions. Is it right? Is, is that what your work's about? Asking the big questions. Yeah, it is. When it comes to some, yeah. yeah. Historically, I'll just say that the the way I got into the field was through the work of uh, Gerard K. O'Neill, who needs yeah. more more uh, knowledge about him. He needs more praise than he gets. But you know, back in the seventies, he was a Princeton University physicist. He had an incredible career as a physicist, but like me, he was always fascinated with space exploration. And one day he asked his physics class shortly after the Apollo 11 moon landing, what is the best way for human civilization to spread off the planet? Is it on the moon? Is it on Mars? 
they came to a radical conclusion. No, the the really good idea is building freestanding space communities using material from the asteroids okay. and making them Earth-like. And O'Neill <clears throat> founded the Space Studies Institute to look into all of this. And he welcomed everybody. You didn't have to be technical to get involved with his work. Because, see, he wasn't thinking about missions. He was thinking about migration. And he realized a space community is going to need poets, social scientists, philosophers, electricians, plumbers, astronauts, all, all kinds of people. And so I found a place there, and I gave my first ever talk on space there. And then serendipity struck. I was flying cross-country, and I was wondering, well, what would it be like to live in a place like that? I was looking out the window, and I was looking at the Earth, and I thought, suddenly, you would always have an overview of the Earth. You would, you would see it as a whole system, totally interconnected, totally interrelated. You'd experience the overview effect. Just came into my mind. It was an epiphany, and... Shortly after I landed, I called NASA Public Affairs, and I had a social science approach. And I said, I need to interview all the astronauts right away. <laughs> and the guy at the other end said, well, they're kind of busy right now. Um, if, if you come to Houston, I could offer two astronauts for your interviews. I thought, wow, that's a small sample size. And then he said, well, why don't you inter interview retired astronauts? We don't control them. And I thought, oh, I had never thought of that. I hmm. thought probably NASA did control them. But that started me off. I, I did interview two astronauts at Houston. And then I started networking starting with the Space Studies Institute people. And I eventually got up to 16 astronauts. And essentially, I had a hypothesis that space people would have a different level of awareness than Earth people, just because they'd always see the Earth in the sky. And I didn't think it would be extraordinary at all it would just be normal oh there's the earth you know i mean we get excited about different phases of the moon different aspects of the moon but we're not surprised to see the moon in the sky oh there's the moon yeah and when i started interviewing astronauts i confirmed a lot of the hypothesis which was you know, they wouldn't see borders and boundaries. They'd see the connectivity of everything. But I also found out it was kind of a shocking experience. I started to find out astronauts cry often when they see the Earth for the first time. Not all of them, but some. And 
I realized, okay, they're not really space people. They're Earth people who left and looked back, and they're kind of confirming the hypothesis. And certainly people who've lived on the International Space Station for a year are getting close. But the hypothesis now is <clears throat> astronauts will, yes, have a new level of consciousness. But the really exciting opportunity is to bring the overview effect back down to Earth and share that awareness with people who are never going to leave the planet. Yeah. It's a kind of awareness that we need to deal with the challenges we have on the surface of the Earth. We don't think in whole systems. We don't see connection. We don't see relatedness. We see difference and distinction. And that's why it's very, very hard for us to solve any of the planetary problems we have. So that's how that happened. And then just briefly, I'll tell you, you know, I've been using the term social science, social science. The way I started thinking of myself as a space philosopher was that in 1986, around that time, we had the Challenger accident. Mm. And we were shocked. Oh, we thought we thought the shuttle was routine. What happened? And there was a show called This Week with David Brinkley. And right after the accident, he had Isaac Asimov, one of my heroes, on. He had Tom Wolfe, who wrote The Right Stuff. And uh, one of the other panelists, George Will, said, Mr. Wolfe, haven't we had a rather banal reason for spaceflight, like non-stick frying pans? And uh, Tom Wolfe said, you're right, you're absolutely right. Our country has never had a philosophy of space exploration. And I thought, yes, that's true. And I don't know anybody who is a space philosopher. So I will become a space philosopher. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I laugh at myself because intellectually, that is a characteristic I have Yeah. for Bill. Um. I take on whatever I think needs to be done. And when I went to my most recent reunion at Harvard, I gave a talk called something like Becoming a Space Philosopher. And I admitted to my entire class, I only took maybe one and a half philosophy courses at Harvard, and I didn't do very well. <laughs> and so I'm admitting it. But there are quite a few people who would describe themselves that way. There is really a space philosophy field. And I'm glad, you know, because we need a new approach to the expansion of humanity off the home planet, because we don't want to make the mistakes we've made on Earth, which are many. Um, but what will we be? <clears throat> I know you've, you've written about, um, you know, the environment and, uh, and sustainability, those sorts of things on the planet. Um, yep. Will the will the human species not just take the same problems elsewhere? 
that's a real danger. That's that's a real danger that we will. Now, my thought is that that is not inevitable in the sense that when you leave the planet, and for example, let's say you live on the International Space Station, it's not just the view of the Earth that makes you an environmentalist. Hmm. Um, you know, looking at the planet, seeing it that way, really makes you shift toward a more environmentally aware perspective. But living in a system like that, you're highly aware that you have to conserve. You have to be very, very careful with everything and that, you know, nothing really protects you from the harsh environment of outer space, but this very thin hull. Yes. And, you know, the truth of the matter that we really need to get through to Earthlings, but also the future space people is we are in space. We've always been in space. We'll always be in space. And Earth is the first space community. And it isn't really that different from the ISS. Again, everything is related, interconnected, and the only thing protecting us from the the environment of outer space is a very thin blue line called the atmosphere. Um, uh, Nicole Stott is a former astronaut who's written a book called Back to Earth, and she talks really clearly and articulately about this. And you know, she points out the only border that really matters is that thin blue line because if it went away, life on Earth would not be possible. So I believe future space people are going to be highly aware of environmental concerns, not just on Earth, but out out there. Because if you live if you live on the moon or you live in an O'Neill space community or you live on Mars, it's going to be very challenging. You're not going to be able to waste anything. And you're not going to you're not going to have this sense of the environment just being there to exploit. It, it's there to support you. And you have to you have to be engaged in sustainability or you won't it won't be sustained. Yeah, and, and uh, do you think do you think there's a is a realization starting to happen that we that we are part of a, a system a system that we you know we shouldn't be trying to control we are we are part of part of the uh, of the of Mother Nature of uh, of the environment. I'm I'm sensing people are more now starting to listen to Aboriginal, sorry, to listen to, um, uh, you know, Native peoples and, uh, and you know, their beliefs, um, you know, the, the realisation that um, many of these understood nature and their part in it so much better than, you know, so-called 
more civilized populations, uh, which is which sounds crazy, um, who felt that land was to exploit and control. And Nate, do you think we're starting to appreciate that more? Now we have to. I think one of the most encouraging developments of our time is for uh, people who have been raised in, as you say, a more technological civilization and uh, uh, who are, are enamored of the power that technology gives us are turning to indigenous people for their wisdom which we should have done a long time ago, but we did not. So that's a good thing. The other thing I would say is the overview effect itself is changing people, even people who've never left the planet. There's pretty good evidence that the Apollo missions to the moon and the videos and pictures like Earthrise have had a big effect on consciousness and yes. bolstered the environmental movement to where the environmental movement is mainstream. It wasn't mm. many years ago. It was fringe. So I think we should take heart that already there's been a change and there can continue to be positive change. Mm. That's good to hear. I, I, I'm wondering. So, so I, I'm kind of wondering here. It almost, I almost wonder if it should be a rite of passage for all, all um, political leaders uh, to have to watch either watch the overview over um, view effects or um, go into space and see it for themselves before they can uh, take on that big role. What, what's your thought there? <laughs> Great idea, but. It's been brought up by astronauts. A summit conference in outer space would be a wonderful thing. Uh, the leaders couldn't make this, the decisions they make if they'd seen what we see. Yeah, I think though we do we do tend to focus on high level political leaders, and then we just say, "Oh well, it can't be done because of security and all that." However. With the new era of commercial astronauts, it's within reach for CEOs and diplomats and other people who are leaders to have the overview effect experience. Mm. And that is doable because they don't need security in most cases. And that could bring a significant shift without going to presidents and, yeah. and people who run entire countries. Yeah, yeah. Good. Well, on that note, so we're going to go to commercial break now. And after the break, we'll talk a little bit about, well, we could talk a bit about this space tourism and uh, a lot of you know, industry really started to build up out of um, out of space and space exploration. Um, I'd like to be also talk about um, colonization off the planet and uh, get a sense of, When's that going to happen in your in your view? And what are the things we need to be mindful about there? And um, yeah, so we'll, we'll talk we'll talk about that. And I'd be interested to hear about this industry of space because um, it, it is one I'm I'm sensing, as you say, that there's so many satellites up there now. There are so many organisations involved. Um, 
it's not just NASA anymore. You know, it's uh, it's it's in India. It's obviously there's uh, you know Russian cosmonaut etc. But it is a uh, it is it is growing and evolving uh, with um, you know each year. So I'm just intrigued as to where it's heading uh, and maybe where there are opportunities for organisations to step in and help. So back again with you all in just a couple of minutes. So do join us after the break. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with uh, Frank White, space philosopher. And we've been talking about the overview effect. Uh, we've been talking about we talked about Frank's uh, fascinating background of being a, a space philosopher. Uh, and uh, we started to talk about um, about kind of you know people people experiencing space tourism and coming off the off the planet. In fact, I'm, I'm in- interested. You you've written all these amazing books, and you've uh, and there's this film that you're you're very well known for, um, the overview. And how do you how do you you know what's a what's your how do you make your living today you've got this organization called the human space program i believe um just tell us a little bit of give us a bit of context about what because it's not just writing books that you do is it in terms of your contribution no um i found out early on when i published the first edition of the overview effect that writing books is not a very a good way to make a living (laughs) it's 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 an act of love Yeah, and uh, as I've often said, I don't know what I think till I write a book, and then I know what I think. So that's why I do it. Um, love to have a bestseller, but not yet. So yes, so I teach. Uh, I teach in the division of continuing education at Harvard. I teach at Boston University, and uh, very much enjoy teaching at Kepler Space Institute. which is dedicated to looking at the issues that I'm interested in. Not because of me, it's just synchronistically, we're both interested in the the same uh, topics. So I teach. Uh, I'm also engaged in um, an initiative to uh, put, um, to introduce investors to space companies 
And there I'm primarily using my communications skills uh, on behalf of that company. And then, Hmm. yeah, the human space program. For the most part, human space program is a volunteer organization. Uh, We are doing our level best to end that. We are seeking funding like any good nonprofit. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, the broad answer to your question, I've been a communicator pretty much my whole career. And so I I do freelance writing and um, I, I do a number of different uh, activities to support my love of space exploration. I've also become extremely interested in artificial intelligence yeah. and I'm working on that. It's interesting because... I'm generally bullish on AI. I think it can be a huge boon to humanity if we can just get over our fear. However, as a writer and an editor, I've taken note of the fact that ChatGPT is a pretty good writer too. And I do understand why it worries people that it could um, take over their, their skill and I just think we have to find new ways to do what we do and and make AI into an ally, not an enemy. Yeah, I think I think um, my experience of it, I, I utilize ChatGPT to help me with my thinking. Actually, uh, I'm finding it really, really helpful. And I did write a, um, a a couple of pages for a book recently, um, and I spent as much time as I would have done on those two two pages. Um, but I worked with ChatGPT, uh, and um, and I think what came out of it, I would see would happen. Um, well, the the, fee- the feedback I got from the publisher was that it was a masterpiece, um, uh-huh. and uh, uh, and okay. you know, I couldn't write a masterpiece. Um, but actually, what I think it did do is it it really it was very much my content, it's very much my experiences, but enabled me to write it in a way which was more engaging from a communication perspective so um it's uh, uh I, i'm hearing of people writing whole books using ai I, I don't think you should plagiarize but i think it can be a brilliant tool to help us communicating our messages even more effectively it's my view but i don't know what yours is yeah i tend to agree i mean i uh i'm i'm a spe- <clears throat> excuse me i'm especially interested in artificial intelligence and space exploration at this point. It's an intersection of two of my interests. And I do believe we're going to need artificial intelligence as we move off the planet. We're going to need a partner in in going into these new areas where we've never been before. As far as the writing part goes, I tend to agree with you that the the again i keep coming back to partnership um you know the ai has access to the internet and i think most writers the first thing they do when they start writing something is google Mm. uh, use google to access the internet and these uh ai systems just take it one step further where they report back in a different form yeah we believe we have to sort out copyright and intellectual property rights 
and that's going to be sorted out by the courts. That's already happening. Hmm. However, I I I think it's a lot like space migration. Once you start looking at the topic, it's just inherently fascinating. Yeah. So I want I, I want to I, there's a number of things I want to ask you, and I'm mindful that the time's going to just disappear. Um, and the first one that, thing I want to ask you about is: is space something just for the rich, or is it something for all? Well, nothing is set in stone, of course, uh, when it comes to human behavior. I will tell you, and I will tell your audience, those of us working to make it a good next step for humanity, we're dedicated to the space environment not being a gated community for wealthy people and not being a um, joy ride for the rich yeah we don't want that we are working hard to prevent that and you know space for all is kind of a rallying cry for us uh, we talk about in the human space program my organization a sustainable ethical and inclusive evolution of humanity into the solar ecosystem and we really want that we want it to happen and you know i interviewed sir richard branson for the fourth edition or the third edition of my book it's also in the fourth edition branson is first of all an environmentalist and a lot of the reason he wants to give people these flights is he thinks it'll make them better environmentalists yeah he writes yeah. about the overview effect and he's very engaged in that but he also has a very simple view which is that he is following the model of the airline industry in the beginning people dressed up and you know they uh made a really big deal out of a commercial air airline flight. And now I can't say every human being can fly, but certainly it's available to far more people. Mm -hmm. There's a certain uh, entrepreneurial aspect to having a large customer base instead of a small one. And I think most space companies want the larger base i would also tell you i've interviewed or talked to people who are going on virgin in particular they're not all wealthy uh the price is high but some of the people have mortgaged their home and done remarkable things to pay the, the cost and so <clears throat> anything can happen it it come it could become a place for the wealthy but there are a lot of forces working against that mm. so so there's um there's, there's this space tourism and the you know for some at the moment it feels a little bit like um you know a bigger you know a bigger thrill than going to um your local theme park or going to a big theme park um that's that's the phase right at the moment 
Um, but you've been talking about space migration, and that's really about living off the planet. Um, are we going to live off the planet because the one the one we leave behind is becoming less desirable? Um, what are the reasons for living off the planet, and and over what time scale do you think people will make that step? Well, individuals are going to have different motivations. Um, I was. On Friday of last week, I was at a an event uh, where a large number of space-related organizations are urging the United Nations to have an 18th sustainable development goal that would be focused on space. And uh, the UN has 17 such goals, and we were urging them to adopt an 18th. One of the speakers talked about the fact that some people are going to want to migrate or go because that's who they are. Yeah. They, they look for um, challenging situations. And this speaker said it's going to be inevitable that some number of people will do it for that reason. There is also some research that suggests there is an exploration gene that 20% of the population are just into exploring or risk-taking, and it may not have anything to do with space. They could become a medical researcher or a race car driver. Yep. That'll be one motivation. It's just going to be they want that, that challenge. Now, other people may leave because, you know, um, entrepreneurs and others create a more attractive environment for them off the planet. The O'Neill communities I was telling you about, O'Neill pictured as Earth-like, attractive. It, it wouldn't be a place for the thrill seekers. Yeah. It would be a place for ordinary families families and people. And so there will be people who will see that as an opportunity to improve their lives. And we know from history that migration is very natural for humans. And typically migration happens because it benefits the person who migrates. Unfortunately, we well know there are people migrating today who don't want to. Yeah, They're leaving their home because they have to. Civil war, climate change, catastrophe. But there are also people who go elsewhere because it's a better life. There's another aspect to this, though, that is what interests me. Not everyone agrees with me on this, but many people do. And this was one of the motivations of Jerry O'Neill. I'm pretty convinced that we have overshot the carrying capacity of the Earth. Many of the problems we see today are because we have pushed the Earth to its limits. Yeah. And in fact, if we were able to create the opportunity for human beings and industry to migrate 
to this larger ecosystem that's out there, it could be incredibly beneficial to Mother Earth. Mm -hmm. So in an interesting way, the overview effect and space migration are not about space. They're about Earth and improving life on Earth, changing our awareness of life on Earth. And so I don't want to adopt a plan where we're forcing people to leave or forcing industry to leave. But I do believe that if we really um, encourage this possibility rather than resisting it, it could benefit the home planet and it could benefit those who remain on the planet. Hmm. So it's going to need a, it will need uh, an incredible shift in technology to be able to make it happen. Right. Is, you know, how, how far are we down the line to technologically to be able to make this possible? Yeah. Well, we're seeing uh, two developments in the short term. One is private industry has built spacecraft that can go on suborbital hops and on orbital trips. So if you look at Virgin Galactic, that doesn't go into orbit. It's a suborbital hop. And Blue Origin has their own rocket that gives you a suborbital hop. Now, on a SpaceX flight, you can go into orbit, and that has happened. You can go to the International Space Station which is orbital in yep. nature. Um, and so we have the technology to move people off of the Earth. And then NASA, as you may know, is planning to end its, well, NASA and NASA's partners are planning to end the operational life of the International Space Station in uh, 2030. So NASA has encouraged private enterprise to begin building what we would, what are being called private space stations. And those private space stations are really precursors to, you know, future uh, freestanding space communities. We're going to have to go a lot farther to realize the dream of Earth-like communities, but I think that's that's something we could start imagining. And then the moon is only three days away with current mm. technology. Mm. I think it is possible to imagine people living on the moon within a reasonable period of time. Now, it's it's going to ha we're going to have to overcome a lot of challenges because we don't have earth gravity there we have radiation there there are a lot of problems that would have to be solved but and then the o'neill communities are a completely different dimension but i always go back chris to president kennedy you know in 1961, he said, we're going to put a man on the moon and bring him back safely by the end of the decade. 
nobody had a notion of how to do that. Mm. I mean, NASA had no idea how to do that. But they had a goal, they had a mission, they had a vision. And when we talk about leadership, I think that's a great example of leadership. Kennedy said, we're going to do it. And he also, he made it clear, I'm not going to figure it out for you. That's your thing. You guys have to figure out how to do it. And they did. If we wanted to build a settlement on the moon or even even a scientific base on the moon, we can do it. Yeah. Um, it's really more commitment than it is technology, I believe. Yeah. I was watching the uh, uh, film recently about the James Webb Space Station, and uh, I think I think there was something like thirty thousand people. Is that correct? Involved in the development of that over the over yeah. the time, it's a huge huge uh, number. Over, I mean, there were people there who maybe it was either ten, so it was either ten thousand or thirty. But it, but there were people there who had actually started thirty years ago working on it. Um, oh. <laughs> so all the whole careers have been working on the the James Webb telescope which was incredible um but it, it is it was ground it's groundbreaking when you received the story and all the things that could go wrong and um and all the things that had to be overcome and you know, uh, is to to do what's done and nothing could be fixed because it was going so far away from the earth it's, it couldn't be fixed by man it had to all work and it all worked beautifully so i guess it, it demonstrates what can happen when minds come together i guess where there's a will there's a way that's one of the things about humanity that's so moving in a way is if you've ever been to the launch of a a spacecraft, you you come away from it just awestruck mm -hmm. by what human beings can do when we work together instead of at odds with each other. And of course that's the message of the overview effect. We're all in this together. Yeah. Got to, well, I've got to ask a question because you mentioned you were interested in you know, um, whether extraterrestrials ex existed. What's your view? Um, does, does life live outside of uh, Earth? Well, I believe the, the odds are very high that there is life somewhere in the, in the universe, which is so vast. Yeah, has to be. I, I'm not, I'm not of the opinion that, it's inevitably the case because I did write a book on the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. As I said, I don't know what I know till I write a book. And I did come across uh, something called the cosmic anthropic principle. And the advocates of that principle say, just because there are billions of stars and billions of planets, doesn't mean that there is a lot of life or intelligent life. In other words, we could still be amazingly unique. Mm. So I always hold out the possibility that the big numbers don't guarantee it. However, it it is a fascinating topic, and whatever the answer is, it gives us a huge responsibility as human beings, we're either going to become part of a cosmic community or we're alone in yeah. being who we are here on this little planet. 
and either way, uh, we need to do the best we can, either on our own or in uh, concert with other intelligent beings. And I do want to mention one thing. I know that we're close to the end here. We're discovering there's a lot of intelligence on Earth. Yeah. Animals are amazingly intelligent, and uh, we just don't give them enough credit for that. So we should also recognize the intelligence that's all around us. I couldn't agree more. There's a lot to uh, lot to discover at home still, isn't there? It really is. Yeah, and and you're right. Just you know, we just talked about uh, we talked about earlier about indigenous populations. We just uh, we just overlook so much, don't we? That's actually underneath and under our noses. I will tell you one thing. I I just finished a great book called "Are We Smart Enough to Know How Smart Animals Are?" Okay. Reading that book, I decided the most unique thing about humans is our incredible desire to be unique. <laughs> we really we want we really want to be unique in our intelligence whether we're talking about animals or ai and uh that that is just a characteristic that we have i'm afraid yeah oh but yeah well it's been an absolutely uh, amazing interview i'm completely fascinated i'll have to talk again with you about ai at some at some point um but you're it's just just amazing to meet someone who's created a career out of something that is quite unique and and created an, a, a niche from it, and it's just becoming more and more important. It feels these big questions um, need to be answered. It's not it shouldn't just be a race against somebody else for you know competition and ego. There are some really important issues here that need to be well thought through uh, and consensus agreed so thank goodness somebody like you is spearheading that so that's really fascinating we haven't talked enough about the industry of space um so maybe that's um we'll have to do that on another another date um but to find find out more do check out the overview effect on vimeo um it's a nasa series on youtube down to earth and uh, visit frankwhiteauthor.com and check out um frank's Frank's views and Frank's books, and um, I shall be reading more and learning more about Frank White. This isn't the end, and I'm hoping one day, I'm hoping one day that I can read a book um, that tells me about Frank's experience um, looking down on the Earth. That would be really fascinating. I want to, I want to read that when that happens. Maybe one day it will do. Um, but in the meantime, a big thank you to Frank. Um, I hope you've enjoyed being on the show today. Yeah, thank you very much, and I will just close by saying. I hope you get to read that book because that means I got to write it. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for it. <laughs> I'll do my best. No, no pressure. <laughs> I'm waiting for it. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, take care, everybody. I hope you found this interview kind of really thought provoking, and and I hope you, from a leadership perspective, what it maybe does is helps you to think from a, a bigger perspective and maybe think of things from a systemic perspective at a, at a higher level uh, and maybe elevate our thinking. And maybe maybe when you're making a decision, what dis- would the decision be any different if you imagine yourself looking on the planet, uh, taking an overview of what's going on, that beautiful 
system and that thin blue line that Frank talked about uh, and all those people unable to see boundaries, you know, all those people connected uh, and, and a planet that, um, you know, it appears at the moment we're outgrowing because we've not been looking after it. So in everything that you do, perhaps you think about how can you contribute to a better world through your work uh, rather than risk damaging it further. So on that note, I'll leave you. And if you've got any questions or comments, do send emails to me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Uh, but once again, uh, Frank, uh, thank you for your very important work and for your time today. It's been an absolute privilege. Thank you, Chris. I've enjoyed it very much. Thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.